Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome. We are two. <laughs> you know, you know, we we know we're two friends, and we know who you are, and we know who I am. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity. We welcome you into that conversation. Coming at you from the cottage studios in Independence. I hope we don't float away. We've got about seven days of rain predicted. <laughs> uh, I've got the new grading and landscaping around the house. I just hope the studio doesn't flood like it has in the past. But uh, so far, so good. We are dry. <laughs> We're doing good. I won't take it as a sign from heaven if it does flood. <laughs> <laughs> really? Hey, uh, what's on your mind today? There's well, You don't have to ask me that because the uh, truth is, no one knows this, but we've been talking for a while, and <laughs> we already got that out of the way. At the um, end, at the end of the sermon yesterday, um, Brother Dale asked us to pray for Israel. I was going to ask you, Corey. Uh, so this is March, no May. What are we? May, yeah. <laughs> May seventeenth. I don't know when this will air. It won't. It probably in a few days. But May seventeenth, Israel has been in a quite a battle with. Hamas and things have heated up over there. And, and so I wanted to ask you, Corey, your thoughts. I, I spent some time last Saturday watching videos and trying to educate myself on the history of the current conflict and just what's going on over there. Mm-hmm. You and I, you've brought out in classes before that since the 1830s to now, and, and looking back over you know, a thousand of years, the population of Jews coming back to Israel has just skyrocketed. Right. So prophecy is being fulfilled, and there's conflict over there regarding that prophecy that the Jews would return to their land, and that most importantly, that the house of Israel would come back to know Jesus as their Savior. Yeah. The Book of Mormon is supposed to have a part in that. That was the reason... It was brought forth. And to think that through, uh, we can trace the Book of Mormon's history back to about roughly the the time of the Tower of Babel in the Bible, roughly 2,000-ish years before Jesus Christ even appeared to to come down here as a a baby, right, and born. So 2,000 years before Christ is the history we have recorded in the Book of Mormon. And interestingly enough, if you look at the Bible and that history 2,000 years before Christ, you don't see Jesus spelled out so simply and prophetically. Um, it's kind of buried in prophecy and things, but he, he is testified of. But the Book of Mormon very clearly talks about Jesus. And... Then we think about that, and, and we've only had the book. We've only had these records less than 200 years. Yeah. And they covered so much time, and there's so much truth in there about Jesus. I, I just, to me, that is a heavy, heavy weight. Like, why am I born in the generation that is allowed to read about Jesus in such a clearly, concise way to put away all... Um, all stumbling blocks to put away all uh, cloudiness on what the heck is the Bible talking about. It just opens him up in a new and marvelous way so that there is, there should be no doubt when we simply look at the Book of Mormon and then read through the Bible with that understanding, the Bible becomes so much clearer. Why and when is Israel going to when is the Israel and the Jews going to um, be able to read this book and understand about their Savior? Wow, that's a that's a good question. You know, it's like war in that part of the world, and specifically around Israel, isn't a new thing. I think historically, not counting what's going on now, you know, Jerusalem in the olden days was attacked like fifty-two times, and you know, besieged. You know, where they'd circle around try to starve the people out. You know, so many times, and the temples were destroyed, and the walls destroyed, and it's like this the cycle over and over again. But this. Um, this started with idolatry, falling away from God, and not, and then not recognizing the Savior. But the prophecy is that someday, when specifically, like you say, the words that have been placed into our hands end up 
speaking to them and and it isn't going to be our our history like of the gentiles work with this book it's not going to convert them i think it's just like the book of mormon says they're going to find christ through it it's going to speak to them in powerful ways and you know i i think about this often in fact what you just mentioned about you know the the um, i don't know if war is the the appropriate term yet but at least the the skirmish is going on right now in Israel with Hamas. Um, I just, I just wonder what ends up happening someday that makes people turn to that. And sometimes it's devastation and hard things. I, I don't doubt for a minute that Israel militarily is superior in the, you know, in the, in a conflict like that, but what spiritually will change? I, um, I don't know the the, the Book of Mormon says something interesting. I was just looking at this. In Second uh, Nephi 11, Nephi talks about this, that in the last days, he says in the days of the Gentiles, you know, when the Gentiles still have this hold on the gospel, if you will, it says uh, all nations of the Gentiles and also the Jews, they which shall come upon this land and they which shall be on other lands, even upon all the lands of the earth, Behold, they will be drunken with iniquity and with all manner of abomination. So it says, and in that day there will be famines, pestilence, storm, flame of fire, and talks about nations fighting against, you know, each other. But um, he, he kind of morphs back and forth into Isaiah's words. But that in the end, um, it says, it ties this into what we know as Isaiah 29. He says, you guys are going to be drunken with iniquity, but he says, in that day it shall come to pass that the Lord will bring forth unto you the words of a book, and they will be the words of them which have slumbered. And so <clears throat> I was just thinking about what you said, that when there's obviously in our world right now, you know, spiritual, moral, ethical iniquity in in Israel's not immune to it. I mean, they have, you know, problems with drugs and abortion and different things that yeah. we think are just here. And we, we think there's this, you know, uh, this little enclave of people who are just thankful to be back in their homeland in, in Israel, but yet they have the same social problems. I was going to say, I, there was a, um, when I was working in the emergency room, one of the uh, internships, I think she was at EMS, going through the EMS school anyway, she was doing some school time in the ER and she was from Israel and she was Jewish. And I just thought, there's a great opportunity to witness, and this is one of the Lord's chosen people. And right. one of the most worldly, uh, morally liberal people I've met, and I thought, well, I don't feel any connection to you <laughs> spiritually at right. all. Yeah. I thought it was going to be this, that, that just because she was from Israel and Jewish that the Lord had his hand on her, and and that might be so, but um, I was watching as I was trying to educate myself about what's going on over there. I purposely would watch a video from like uh, Al Jazeera or from uh, um, uh, the perspective of the Arabs. And then I'd watch something from the perspective of, of maybe the democratic, uh, more conservative media. And the Jews are not some, some perfect religious people. There was one video where uh, some Jewish people were like taking away the home of an Arab and the lady was in the front yard like, that's my house. You can't take it. And they said, if we don't steal it, someone else will. And so God loves everybody the same. And I don't think it's right to just go in there and pilferage somebody's house and kick them out because this is your quote, chosen place to live. I don't know. I mean, I know generations are punished because of what they've done and how they've denied Christ, but also the Lord loves people and we need to treat each other with love. That was never the case to, to, to be so cruel and mean to people. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the unfortunate backstory behind all of this fighting is that the people who are fighting each other are all just distant cousins, you know, and they've been hmm. separated because of, Lies. It's not a lot different, really, than the story we get in the Book of Mormon, where Nephi and his people, the Nephites, have this never-ending battle between the Lamanites because some children of Laman and Lemuel were taught that they were wronged by their fathers, and that you know that Nephi got the blessing and they got the cursing, and whatever, and 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 they always have someone to blame for it. And it's not really a lot different between the the Arab nations and the and the Jews. You know, they 
They were all children of Abraham. And so the beautiful blessing of the Book of Mormon is that when it talks about um, the first shall be last, the last shall be first, that prof- that's a prophecy. In the, in the, it's a prophecy about the Jews and the Gentiles and getting the gospel, but it's more than that. It's stated by Ether, who saw the end times in, in that book of Ether from the Book of Mormon, that that prophecy is finally fulfilled in Zion when these Jews and, and Gentiles, they're, they're cousins, you know, and I, I'm going to limit it to say, okay, right now the Israelis and Hamas, um, they'll all see eye to eye too. And it's, it's like everyone comes back to Jesus under this final blessing, which is far part of this final prophecy. I didn't just say that. Did I? <laughs> <laughs> the part of the final prophecy that, all these people who are fighting among each other right now, <clears throat> they're, they're all divided mainly because they haven't come to Christ. But in the end, the blessing is on Hamas and all the Palestinians and everyone else that they're going to come to Christ too. And that's uh, the, how the blessing ends up. So I, I don't know the day and age we live in, you know, what it's going to lead to. But I, I would I th- I think about this every day personally just – what that would be like when the word returns to Israel and they believe it. I've, I've read of certain individual Jews now and then who have read the Book of Mormon and they've even said this is a Hebrew book, you know, but I don't know if that's going to be what catches their attention or not. I saw um, Patrick McKay was on the podcast not uh, a while ago and uh, he posted something yesterday, an interview with a evangelical who's actually published a book that you can buy on Amazon. Uh, it says an evangelical's perspective of the Book of Mormon. And uh, I haven't listened to it, but uh, he's actually, so Patrick and him are having a dialogue. I need to listen to it today. But this man separately has several videos on YouTube that uh, talking with more um, other evangelicals that are actually, it's actually has has quite a few views talking about the Book of Mormon. I want to look at that today and see what the perspective is. But from what I've seen so far, he uh, says it test you know it testifies of Jesus, and so he's probably the odd man out yeah. testifying of it. But enough that he's written a book about it, and so I want to explore that today. But mm-hmm. I just got my iPad out here. I, I, you just mentioned several things I wanted to dive into. I still got this COVID brain that um, <laughs> my, my mind cannot track for longer than a few seconds. And so I have to write down things all the time to stay on track. I, so. I had that before COVID and I didn't have COVID. No, before. I mean, <laughs> people say that, but I mean, it's, it's, it's exponential. It really, it is real. It's like very, very difficult for me. Um, so anyway, I wrote down here, the Lamanites, uh, different, tell me what you think about this. The gospel, the Book of Mormon <clears throat> specifically says to convince the Jew and the Gentile that Jesus is the Christ. Yeah. Where um, also, where did we get the idea that that this book was to go, well, throughout the Book of Mormon, the promise is that, that it will go back to the brethren of, mm-hmm. of the people, that they would know it. And so we believe that in this land over here in the Americas, I'll just say the Americas, uh, north, south, whatever, there are people that have that lineage within their blood, within their uh, culture, that are to receive the covenants, the knowledge of Jesus through the Book of Mormon, as well as Jew mm-hmm. and Gentile. So, mm-hmm. but to convince everybody, but we we specifically have had a tradition, and I want to make sure that it's scriptural, and I, and I think it is, and we know that it is. But I just want to bring that out: the Book of Mormon is to go to the Lamanites. And I also want to talk, maybe touch base on the choice seer. So talk to me about the Book of Mormon going back to the Lamanites. And if, in fact, as uh, one writer wrote this week, I was reading in our history, he said, as far as I know, Joseph Smith never even preached a sermon to the Lamanites. And so what uh, what is this choice seer and, and that's supposed to bring this come forth among them, and how is this book going to go to the Lamanites? Oh, wow. That's, yeah, <laughs> that can take us in a lot of directions. That's fine. We, we, yeah. need, to, we need to build up some podcasts. So. <laughs> I'm going to be out of town soon. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, so one thing that comes to mind is exactly what you referenced where it says that Jesus is the, the eternal God. This comes from the title page of the Book of Mormon, which is the, the mission statement of the Book of Mormon. And in that same uh, text of the title page, 
It states that the Book of Mormon was sealed up, and this is the fourth paragraph of the title page, sealed up and hid up unto the Lord that they might not be destroyed uh, to come forth by the gift and power of God to the interpretation thereof, sealed by the hand of Moroni and hid up to the Lord to come forth in due time by way of Gentile, the interpretation thereof by the gift of God. And so the, the book was prophesied to come back to us first. And one of the things that's important to realize about the Book of Mormon is that while most of it was written in times B.C., and you mentioned this, you know, some of it goes back, you know, more than a couple thousand years before Christ, that the words that were reserved in that book all are the laws of Christ. We don't we don't get any of the Mosaic law. I mean, they practiced the Mosaic law, and I guess at one point Abinadi mentions the Ten Commandments, but the point is that the words that were written were really reserved to come to us in our day, and and they just include the the commandments of Christ. And they're it's it's amazing when you consider that these all come from a group of people who are still required to keep the Mosaic law. So they were still doing the sacrifices of sheep and everything, and yet they mm-hmm. understood Christ and they write about that. <clears throat> but so then it, it came to this our Gentile culture first, you know, our our church, our nation, our, our people. <clears throat> and so when Nephi is explaining his vision to his brothers, he he includes this, and it's mentioned by other people too, but this is just one of several. Um, he said that the brothers say, um, what about this uh, grafting in? And he says, they shall, the house of Israel will be grafted in, a natural branch, the olive tree. And this was actually outside of the vision, but he's explaining things. And this is, and Nephi is explaining that um, Israel will be like grafted back in, you know, after they stray. And he says, um, these things, it says, it means that they will not come to pass until after they are scattered by the Gentiles. You know, after the Gentiles have scattered Israel around the world and, and, and punished them for various reasons. Uh, he says, it meaneth that they shall come by way of Gentiles, and the Lord may show his power unto the Gentiles for the very cause that they shall be rejected of the Jews or the house of Israel. Um, and he says it points to not just our seed alone, Nephi saying not just our people, but also all of the house of Israel, pointing to the covenant which should be fulfilled in the latter days, where the Lord says, in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. And that was the covenant the Lord made to Abraham. So he he speaks about the fact that, uh, he says, the Jews will be restored in the latter days, and it all starts kind of with the with this word that came to the Gentiles. But um, from there... You know, this this was God's plan for us, too, that it wasn't just that, uh, if I can just add this in here, when the church was restored in, in 1830, you know, you mentioned uh, going to the um, uh, the Indians. That was the primary objective is that the Gentiles have always been commissioned to return this word back to the remnants in this land and to Israel. But we, we got off somehow, and it was like it all became, well, yeah, there's going to be the kingdom, and okay, now we got to build the kingdom, and we, we have to do these, these other things. And it's like you said, it's like we never really succeeded in that mission. There was an interesting thing that happened historically. There was a, a group of like five missionaries who went out, and I don't think Joseph was part of it, but it, they went into like Pennsylvania and Ohio, and they were preaching to the Indians there, and they didn't have much success. In fact, they came back kind of dejected because what they thought was going to be this great unfolding of the word really didn't come to pass. But on the way back, it's like there were some other people baptized, and I think that's when Sidney Rigdon came into the church, and there was uh, there was some other benefits that they found the mission had, but they weren't successful in it. Well, what is interesting, though, too, is that uh, in recent years, some people went back to descendants of the very tribes, I guess, that the that Joseph visited. And what's interesting is they found that those American Indian tribes in that part of, I think it was Pennsylvania and Ohio, who they can still identify descendants today, all had the DNA markers that have like the five characteristics of the Hebrew DNA. Like if you were a descendant of Israel, you would have these five DNA markers. And they found these people did. So it's like, it is interesting that somehow who 
whoever Joseph sent them to, they were truly remnants of Israel, you know, and maybe that wasn't their day to respond yet, but it's going to re- happen in the future. Now, you mentioned one other thing, and I, I know I'm kind of scattered here. Uh, you know, so my, my point is that we, we as a church, it's kind of like, oh, we tried that once and it didn't really work. And I know there have been individual efforts and people who are faithful and Indian missionary work, and, and maybe we shouldn't even use that term, but the... I know we. I know not everyone's lost that vision, but as a church, I don't know. I, I think it just kind of got lost in all the other things we felt we had to do. But um, you mentioned the seer, mm-hmm. and and just jump into that for a second. Did you? No, go ahead. All I was going to say is, so there's this passage, and um, I probably should bring it up. This uh, point of the Book of Mormon where there's this prophecy about. A seer, and it says, and his he shall be named after his father, and then we are brought to know this name would be Joseph, and it talks about he would do much good among them. Well, what's interesting is that for years people kind of read it quickly and said, "Well, this has to be Joseph Smith, and this is the work of the restoration." Um, what's interesting is that if you read everything that it describes, you realize you know what, it can't be Joseph Smith, it's got to be someone else. And and one of the reasons is this, I'm going to just bring up scripture here. Sure. So in the second book of Nephi, um, chapter 2, Joseph, the the last born of of Lehi, is getting his, his blessing, and Lehi's days are short. And he talks about how the land is consecrated, for him and his people and how he had been brought through the wilderness and the hardest afflictions of Lehi's days is when he was born. But he makes this promise that his seed would not utterly be destroyed. And this is to Joseph, specifically the youngest of Lehi's children. And then he says, and by the way, you are a descendant. He said, our whole family is a descendant of the same Joseph who was carried out of Egypt. So this young Joseph, son of Lehi, was probably named because his the great patriarch of their tribe was Joseph of Egypt. And he says, Great were the covenants of the Lord which he made unto Joseph, wherefore Joseph truly saw our day. And in another place, it actually talks about these uh, covenants of or writings of Joseph, which were apparently in the brass plates. Joseph of Egypt wrote prophecies. And uh, it's said by Nephi, there were likely none greater in Scripture. And now they had Isaiah, and they had, you know, Jeremiah was a current prophet when uh, when Lehi's family departed. But they so had did, <clears throat> all these writings, but they were saying, hey, the writings of Joseph are greater than others. And we don't have them. We don't them. have those, right? We don't have them in the canon of Scripture. But you know what? There's uh, this book, The Lost Books of the Bible, that I've uh, found a year or so ago. And in there, there are some writings and testimonies of Joseph that weren't included in the canon. And they talk about the Savior. And it's his brothers talk about it. And there's a beautiful story of this. It, it, it seems to come from the heart genuinely of a man who forgave his brothers for the indecent things they did to him. And it's it's Joseph telling first person his forgiveness for his brothers. And it's amazing. It's an amazing testimony. Well, the brass plates apparently had records of Joseph that were in Lehi's hands. And it's interesting, too, because they say when they compare the brass plates to what would be called the Bible in years to come that the Gentiles would hold on to, he said, yeah, he said that the Bible is like the brass plates, except there aren't so many words and prophecies. So, you know, the Bible is a thick book, but what they had in the brass plates was much thicker, much more comprehensive. Wow. Yeah, isn't that hard to believe, you know, when you when you consider that? So <clears throat> back to this um, this blessing on young young Joseph, Lehi's son. When he's talking to his youngest son, he says, you know, there's this promise that God would raise up a righteous branch out of the house of Israel. And he said, not the Messiah, but a branch was to be broken off and remembered in the covenants of the Lord. And he's kind of pointing to their family. But this is, he says, and the Messiah would be manifest unto them in the latter days in the spirit of power under the bringing of them out of darkness unto light, yea, out of hidden darkness and out of captivity under freedom. And so 
the Messiah is going to be manifested to these people in the last days in power, in power. And now that has not happened yet, right? And this is one of the things that just kind of sometimes gives me chills to think about. You know, the best is yet ahead. For all the confusion and stuff and splitting that we've seen in the church and restoration, God's promises are still on track. And Lehi saw well beyond the, the issues of our day to see this word go back. But, but I like that in power. And so um, I got to throw this in because I just, something that, you know, how sometimes you can read scriptures and then you see something differently. Well, there's a parallel that occurred to me this week. In Jesus' writings, when he's speaking to the Nephites in person, he talks about how the, the blessing would come upon Joseph's people in this land someday and it says they would be like a lion among the beasts of the forest. They can go through and tread down and tear in pieces and none can deliver. He makes this statement. Well, here Lehi is making this statement about the latter days where the spirit of power will come upon this seed again to manifest the truth of Jesus. You see, it all comes back to the truth of Jesus. And we haven't used the church or the Book of Mormon to manifest the truth of Jesus. We've we've tried to manifest, hey, we're restored, and so you know we're the right, right ones, right? But I, I still think the message has been off topic. Well— what occurred to me this week is there's a type and shadow in the book of Alma, I believe, with what happens when everyone knows the 2,000 young warriors who were he- the sons of Helaman. And you know we hear these stories. It's right in the very last uh, couple chapters of Alma in, in all the period of wars where sometimes people say, oh, why is this all these wars and stuff? Why is it even included? Well, what's, what occurred to me is that um, – when when you have the story of the people who had been converted and they were so ashamed of their wicked past that they bury their swords in the ground, well, they were Lamanites who had been converted. They weren't Nephites. They were Lamanites who had been murderous and they'd been killing each other. And then when when the day comes when their enemies come upon them and they've buried their swords down and they lay down and they, they are killed in the act of worshiping God, and then later, the enemies are so remorseful that more of them are converted that day than the numbers who were killed. Well, they talk about how they killed about a thousand people, and I'd I'd known this. They become the <clears throat> the people of Jershon, and I'm I'm going to tie this back into this prophecy of Joseph here in just a second. But this this details of these stories are amazing. How they layer on top of each other, and and, and there's a there's a parallel here. So Lamanites were the ones who buried their swords in the ground because they had heard the gospel and they had been converted. Their mothers were the ones who taught these young men. So they were all widows of the, of the men who had sacrificed their life. And it's the sons of those widows then who become the 2,000 strong who not one of them is killed in battle. You know, and this is the, the amazing part of the story. Well, what I just saw this week is that those people, it distinguishes them. He said, these weren't just like a mix of Lamanites. He said, these people were pure descendants of Laman and Lemuel. And and that fascinated me because I realized these 2,000 young warriors who we always thought, hey, this is really cool. They were like indestructible. They were pure Lamanites. And the promise or what happened to them, I think, in that day is a type and shadow for what's going to happen in the future. Now, that's maybe just my opinion, but that what happened then is when they had God's power fully, I think it's just revealing what this is saying right here in the second book of Nephi, chapter 2, where Lehi says, hey, the Spirit of God is going to be manifest to them in power, bring them out of darkness and the light. Those Lamanites were brought out of murderous darkness, and their hearts were changed by Christ, and then they were no power could stop them, right? And, and Jesus prophesies something similar to happen in the last days. So, so I see all these things all of a sudden. This, wow, there's this parallel here. Well, coming back to the seer then. So Lehi is prophesying to Joseph that the Messiah would be manifest to their seed in the last days in, in power, to bring them out of darkness into light, out of hidden darkness and out of captivity to freedom. And then he quotes Joseph of Egypt saying, for Joseph truly testified, saying, A seer shall the Lord my God raise up, which shall be a choice seer under the fruit of my loins. That's verse 10 from Second Nephi chapter 2. So Lehi is then going back to the brass plates and saying what Joseph of Egypt was apparently shown, that way in the last days, um, God was going to raise up a seer 
from his seed. Now, people have said, well, this uh, had to be Joseph Smith for various reasons. But the, the problem is Joseph Smith claimed to be of the lineage of, of Ephraim. Now, whether that was spiritually or, or physically, you know, I don't know, because those lines get a little bit blurred among our people, and I don't think we ever really, really know that. I think it's more of a spiritual adoption. Uh, you know, if you go by patriarchal blessings, you know, I was told I was of the tribe of Ephraim, and my brother was told he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, how does that work, right? You yeah, know? I and don't so, know. But, but I think what it does mean is that if we're connected to this, and I, I don't say that to cast out, because what, I'm, what I think it means is what the scriptures have always said is that the Gentiles get to share in the blessing of Israel, and this was the land of their inheritance, but it was a land of inheritance for people who had come under the covenant, right? And that you share in the blessing of of the 12 tribes who God made these original covenants to those people anyhow. And that's, that's what I think it, it really means. I don't think it's pointing to your DNA in, in terms of when we're told that in a patriarchal blessing. I think it's, it's more to the point of a, a future blessing that's going to be poured out upon all the house of Israel. But what, nevertheless, I, I going back to the, the prophecy of Joseph. So Joseph Smith even though maybe he was of Ephraim and Ephraim was a son of Joseph. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. All of this Lehi's family were descendants of Manasseh. And so that couldn't have been Joseph Smith because if it was talking lineage, he was of, he claimed to be of a different tribe, right? Not Manasseh. So first thing is Manasseh was Lehi's tribe. And he said, I'm a pure descendant of Joseph and through Manasseh. And so the people who would have been his son's seed would have also been Manasseh, and that's the same for Laman and Lemuel and anyone whose DNA is linked to those people. So when he continues and he says, this seer would be a choice seer from the fruit of my loins, and verse 11 says, yea, Joseph truly said, thus saith the Lord unto me, a choice seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins, and he shall be esteemed highly among the fruit of thy loins. I'll give him a commandment that he shall do a work for the fruit of thy loins, his brother, which shall be great unto them, even to the bringing of them uh, to the knowledge of the covenants which I have made with thy fathers. So bringing them to the covenants, well, that sounds like something Joseph Smith could have done. And I will give him a commandment that he shall do none other work, save it be the work I command him. Now think about that in terms of the book of commandments conversation mm -hmm. we've had inside to this. So this guy, his his pure work is to bring the work back to the Lamanites, basically his own people. And he says, I'll make him great in mine eyes, for he shall do my work. And it says, he shall be great like unto Moses, who I've said would raise up and deliver my people, the house of Israel. A lot of evangelicals have poo-pooed the Book of Mormon, saying, well, you said Joseph Smith was going to be like Moses. you know." And, and but, but you just got to keep reading on. He says, and, and Moses will I raise up to deliver the people out of Egypt, but a seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins. So he's making a parallel. Hey, what, he, what Moses did in Egypt, he says, someone from your lineage is going to be come up, and I will give unto him to bring forth power my word to the seed of thy loins, not to the bringing forth of my word only, but to convincing them of my word, which shall, here's the point, have already gone forth among them. And this is the, this is the point, is that this seer that's prophesied was going to be someone who, not like the, the I don't want to sound like I'm disparaging it, but it was a minuscule effort to go to the Lamanites back in the early days of the church. Right. You Joseph know, Smith didn't deliver the Lamanites. No, it didn't deliver. And, it said, and neither has all of us that have come after him. Exactly. Right. And, and so this person is like the prophecy is that they're going to have power to bring forth the word to convince them of the word. But then the fact that it says of them, of my word, which shall have already gone forth among them. Well, maybe that has, you know, I know there's been, you know, people over the years have taken trunkfuls of Book of Mormons and taken them to Indian reservations. And, I, and I'm limiting this to people in North America. It could be North America, South America, you know, Canada is part of North America, right? And there's, there's Native Americans throughout the Americas, right? So they all could have, you know, connection here. But in our efforts, we, we basically go to people where we can get an easy flight or drive to, right? You know, and, 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 and I think in, in many ways, we've established 
or we fulfilled this part of the covenant where, hey, the, the word has gone forth among them, but has it convinced them in power? You know, maybe not overall. I've heard some wonderful testimonies of people who have, you know, um, let's just call it the, the darker skin that we associate with Native America or they speak Spanish or they speak Navajo or whatever. And I've heard of some amazing testimonies and miracles, the things associated with faith, right, of, of people who respond to faith. But to... To see or hear or read of anything where it's like there's this overwhelming response where people are convinced of the truth and you see a spiritual uprising of, of spiritual power manifest at, on, a, on a whole or larger level, it hasn't been made manifest to us if it's happened yet. Do you link this uh, being delivered uh, at all with them being as a lion among us and uh, that that scripture? Yeah, so... I mean, that's, to me, that's the next step. And, um, you know, every day, I, I, you know, statistically speaking, I realize the majority of my earthly years are behind me. And not, not that that's a bad thing either, but every day I realize there's one less thing, one less day, I guess, to serve or do whatever. So how can we make the most of it? In my heart of hearts, I wish that somehow I could know that whatever time we have left could be spent getting this word back to those people so that, they can rise up and and have the prophecy fulfilled. And not just the prophecy fulfilled, but that they can find Christ and and in doing so will fulfill the prophecy. I'd love to see and know this will happen. I hope it happens in our lifetime, but it hasn't hasn't happened yet. But it's the next step. This seems to coincide with, you know, going back to the beginning of our conversation, what's happening in Israel right now, which has happened over generations. The return of the Lamanites seems to coincide with the Jews coming back to Jesus in in the same similar way in power but it's the 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 covenant being fulfilled with the Lamanites seems to precede or come before what happens to the Jews by a little bit it's like mm-hmm. it's like these people get it first somehow and and I don't know why that is or if if they're coming to Christ somehow sparks the Jews to take interest in the word but either way i think what they're going to see has nothing to do with what the gentiles have done with the book of mormon or in the name of the book of mormon because in so many ways i mean you, you look at these you know disparaging acts of people who've tried to you know commit adultery in the name of jesus and they call it celestial marriage and get off track and all these different things that weren't scriptural or weren't weren't commanded by God, saying they were commanded by God. And all that's baggage, which is just going to sit by the roadside of history as this pure word drives forth to them. Right. And one of the witnesses of the Book of Mormon that actually saw the angel of God present the plates, David Whitmer, uh, there was three of them. Uh, There there was several people that saw the gold plates as existing, but there were three people that actually saw the angel of God present them and mm-hmm. could never deny, even if you said, well, someone fabricated something, they could never deny the fact that an angel of God that was, that, and David Whitmer describes it as this brightness that was just beyond the sun, beyond anything that you would know. It was, it was like this holy brightness and coming straight from God, never denied that testimony. He said that, unfortunately, uh, the act of spiritual wifery and polygamy would prohibit people from responding to the Book of Mormon because of the actions of men. And you brought that out in uh, class recently at Colburn that uh, we see that played out in Alma 19 where uh, Alma talks to his son, Corianton. Uh, was that the right name? Yeah, yeah. just yeah. say Cory because I feel like it's me. It's the rebellious one. Right? Yeah, so Alma was talking to his son Cory Stark and said that uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you were chasing after that harlot Jezebel <laughs> out in Buckner, and darn it, you're you're ruining uh, people's testimony. No, yeah. he, no, seriously, he was a he was a member of the ministry, and and he was out uh, uh, spending time with a harlot, with a hooker, with a with a prostitute, and because of that, he damaged people's faith that would not believe in. Jesus. Yeah. So we see that uh, as a as a body of people, those that practice uh, just wickedness, polygamy, and and all other manners of perversions of the gospel, prohibit people by and large from coming to the Book of Mormon because that word Mormon has a bad connotation with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And somehow 
maybe God allowed it in a similar way that, you know, I'm sure in the day of Jesus, people rejected him because they knew Joseph and Mary weren't married and here's this and she's pregnant, you know, and it's like that was the biggest taboo of all in in that day. And it's like to have this, uh, oh, this, you know, seeming fornication over his head his whole lifetime that but but he allowed this to happen because maybe maybe the whole point was that way only people who truly saw him could were, were going to find the truth because I don't know the all the other stuff around it seemed like it could be uh, confusing just like in our day all the stuff with the Gentiles have done to disparage the word and it's like somehow the word will survive right. people who seek it will find it and true no it's true I think uh, I'm going to make a statement and it probably is going to well, I know that it hurts. It hurts a little bit. It used to hurt me a little bit that the great the great event of the 1800s, the 1830s, that that area in time was not that Jesus restored his church. The great event was that he brought forth the Book of Mormon. Yes. And and the revelation states that Joseph should pretend to no other gift other than to translate the Book of Mormon. Yes. That was the the great reason that it says in the Book of Mormon that this free country was established as a nation so that there could be a place so that it could uh, bring forth this book and um, not be prohibited by any governmental restrictions or anything, but it could freely go forth to the world. That was that was the purpose, and that was what this great um, event was to take place in 1830, and that was the beginning of, like you said, this... Uh, choice seer to come forth eventually that was from so so in a concise statement lehi is reading from the plates of joseph the 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 coat of many colors joseph yep uh the one that was sold into sold by his brethren he wrote prophecies that it says were some of the greatest that have ever been lehi is reading some of that prophecy and says this choice seer will come forth that will help bring this word back to his people and that his name is Joseph, Mm -hmm. but that he will be from the lineage of Manasseh because Lehi was from Manasseh and that they would bring them out of, uh, deliver them from captivity. And that has not happened. That did not happen with Joseph Smith or with the church so far, but it's looking like it's going to happen hopefully soon. And every time I see things hit up, you know, heat up in Israel and and politically that there's this great religious uh, undercurrents that surround that whole thing uh, for the history of the world, that this people that was involved in the history that we have recorded in the Bible of the whole world, um, you just get excited like, okay, is is God going to move now in great power? Because it says uh, that when he does move, right, there'll be no mistaking it. That, yeah. that so that's that's some things we have to to look forward to. Yeah, and it's the the effect of this when it happens, it's it's also included in Lehi's words where he he says the fruit of thy loins will write, the fruit of Judah shall write, and that which shall be written by the fruit of thy loins and also the loins of Judah shall grow together unto the confounding of false doctrines, laying down of contention and establishing peace among your people. And so all these things still exist, the contention, the false doctrines, you know, the absence of peace. And that day is coming when when the the words will grow together. And and again, we, we have to uh, humble ourselves and not not want to swell up thinking that it's all about us, that hey, well we've got this Bible and the Book of Mormon, we've got some words from recent days that we've included and we call it three and one and see how they've grown together. And it's like yeah, but they haven't changed the heart of Israel, and they haven't laid they haven't laid down contentions or stopped contentions and brought peace and all this yet. But that will happen, and so I, I just go back to this uh, example we're given in the Book of Mormon with Ether, and I, I know I've shared this in the past, but in the, the plates of Ether, you know, it, it covers a long time period from the Tower of Babel basically to when the Nephites are already established. This this little set of twenty four golden plates summarized that great 
history and of a nation that the Book of Mormon says their brother of Jared is told by God, hey, there will be none greater. I mean, it was so expansive and large, you know, covered literally the Americas. Well, the only thing that really survived through all that time period was this plate, you know, these set of plates. Now, having said that, I came across something really fascinating recently, and you're going to love it because it's about Michigan history, not Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) But that'll be separate. Um, So in this story of the Book of Mormon, I think it's going to be like this in in the future days is that the only thing that happened from all that civilization was that these 24 plates were left in a way where the Nephite civilization discovered them in this land covered with bones, you know, the, the remnants of their history, of their of their death. And so when the future event happens, when these uh, the remnant of the Lamanites rise to power, it's also prophesied to, co- to coexist with a time of judgment on the Gentiles. Now, I'm not putting a date on the timeline and I'm not saying how it's going to happen. And the scriptures have always left the back door open that, but if the Gentiles repent, you know, it doesn't have to be this way, you know, and there's a lot to repent from, you know, you, you look at the things we've talked about in our own history, the polygamy and all these other just false ideas of man that have missed the point. But as a nation, as, as the world of Gentiles, you know, we've become so morally corrupt and bankrupt that uh, all these things need to be fixed by the true infusion of God's spirit and his word in our hearts. And and yet there's a similar pattern, I think, that in the end when all that destruction happened to the Jaredites, when when judgment is prophesied to happen on the Gentiles, the same thing. I think the the plates, even though they're written in paper form or electronic or, you know, to restored gospel website or whatever, is going to reach the people and and that's all that's going to go forth, I think. It's God's word to them. It's not going to come with all of our opinions about it. It's just going to be the word, and it's going to speak to their heart and change the the course of history. Hmm. I think you – I was going to ask you, you know, with these uh, modern-day inventions, you can now send off a swab of DNA to whatever. I think that would be cool to learn your actual – genetic heritage you yeah think? yeah i've got one of these kits that was given to me by my kids a couple of years ago on christmas and i haven't sent it off but i've been doing my own family research and i i guess i don't there's the conspiracy theory in me right you know that's like hey once they they, they i guess the the powers that be you know this uh, uh shadow government that already exists probably already knows more about me than probably you know i would ever imagine but you know sometimes i wonder and this this was the concern in the back of my mind. A friend of mine who's um, Islamic um, by birth, he was born in um, uh, Iran, wonderful person and friend, and he's lived here since his uh, late teens. He got a DNA test, and he was really excited because he said, I found out that I'm uh, 25% Jewish. He said, I had no idea. And he was really interested in that because he's a he's a very business-minded person, just profound, uh, wonderful person to talk to. He's got a cool worldview, you know, just sees things a little bit differently. Um, and he sees the issues with Iran and the world and their, their uh, religious um, hierarchy that kind of controls since the revolution in Iran. He, he sees through all that stuff. But nevertheless, he was like really interested in the fact that he had Jewish heritage because they were so prosperous in his part of the world in business and everything. He was like really fascinated. <laughs> but what I've wondered is, this is the dark side of me thinking out loud, you know, Satan hasn't given up trying to kill the Jews. And now I'm wondering, hey, could people use this in a way of saying, oh, well, you know, Mike Barrett, you have 10% Jewish DNA. You're on our list now, right? Right. You know, and it, it, could it be that? I don't know. But I I have a much, much deeper and important thought on that, Corey, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> as I listen to uh, many true crime podcasts and now how they are catching uh, criminals not even based on having their DNA, but on family DNA exactly. that then goes uh, whittles down, right? Points back, right? So that's how they caught the Golden State Killer 
was uh, because some of his family had submitted these DNA tests. Exactly. And then they they, they uh, compared it to DNA from the crime scenes and whittled down that there's only a few people within this family that can't be accounted for or that are suspicious and ended up catching this guy. So yeah. I just, I picture myself like, I submit my DNA and like I was at the wrong place at the wrong time or eating at a restaurant and left my fingerprint or something. And next thing you know, I'm in the hooch cow for, uh, you know, killing somebody that I didn't even do. Yeah, behind bars for 30 years and you're innocent. I wondered the same thing. I thought, man, could this be a problem for my children someday? You know, I submitted the test, but now, you know, they're in the wrong place. Who knows? I just, you know, you wonder. And and is it just all an innocent thing? Like, hey, find out your DNA, but... I don't know. There's there's pros and cons, and I haven't decided how I feel about it yet. But well, I, kind of, I kind of thought if I knew I had like, you know, six months to live or something, I'd probably do it just in the end so I could know. Even though I suppose once you're on the other side, you find out all that stuff anyhow. Who your great 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 parent grandparents were. Yeah. Uh, um, well, you, talking about DNA, I, I was thinking because of everything going on in Israel, it might be a good time to look at the parable of the olive tree and kind of through the lens of prophecy that gives us a little idea of where we're at in time and what to expect in the, uh, before Christ returns or after he returns, uh, just that. So uh, maybe we could do that in the next episode. And yeah, kinda, I'd love to open that up. Also, um, well, maybe we can talk a little bit about the Hebrew Book of Mormon. We've never really shared that testimony. That was kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. We we need to get um, Quran here, obedient. <laughs> uh, maybe she'll join us by phone and tell us a little bit about the family story. All right. Well, uh, until next time. This is fun. What do we call this episode? Uh, what are we going to call this? How about... Uh, DNA and uh, the choice seer. <laughs> the and, choice seer and, <laughs> and things of the future. Yeah. Well, whenever it happens, however it happens, we just uh, know that uh, in the meantime, we're all just walking each other home. Yeah. Bring your umbrellas, bring especially your umbrellas. if you're in Independence this week. <laughs> See ya.